Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brant. And this episode, we're discussing SST 53, the SWA record, your future, if you have one. We have uh, had some SWA before on Blasting Concept 2, and we've had plenty of Chuck and other guys in the band, I think. So interested to get into this, our first SWA record, Brant. Yeah. Before we do that, I'm curious whether you've got any spiels for me. I have several spiels tonight. All right. I'm calling myself the spiel gusher tonight. Spiel gusher. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any? I I have like a micro spiel once you're done all yours. Okay. Uh, Randy Rampage passed away this year. Rest er, in peace. Passed away this week at the age of 58. Thought we should mention yeah. that Rest since in peace, Randy. we've uh, talked about DOA a lot on this podcast. He played on Something Better Change, Hardcore 81. And then he left the band, came back in 2002 for the album Win the Battle, left the band again, came back in 2008 for a really good album called Northern Avenger, one of the better ones they've done in the last decade or so. Well, I guess it's a decade old now. Northern Avenger? Yeah. Yeah, almost, eh? Yep. Yeah, he had a, he definitely had a rough life, but he was part of, like, the first, I think you could probably say the first DOA lineup that made a mark in hardcore. Yeah. Have you read his book? You betcha. I haven't, I haven't read that one yet. It's, it's on my to-do list. Yeah, it's good. I mean, he basically lived a rock and roll lifestyle and kind of worked manual labor all his, all his life, um, when he could in, uh, in British Columbia, kind of a dock worker. And then uh, a dock worker and a rocker. And he made his mark in DOA. He also had a solo album, right? Yep. And then what was the metal band he was in? You would know that better than me. Annihilator. Right. Yep. <laughs> Annihilator. <laughs> did you ever see Annihilator? I did, yep. He wasn't okay. in the band at the time, but I did see them in the late 80s. I think okay. he played on... I don't, I don't know a ton about Annihilator, but I think he played on the album Alice from Hell which is, I think, one of their more well-known al- albums. Yeah, well, we lost another one, which is too bad. And at a pretty young age, right? 58, yep. Very young. A few other things from some previous pods. Listener Warren Croft on Facebook posted on our page, uh, we, we had mentioned Tony Cicero played in the band Left Insane. This was would have been on a Saccharine Trust episode that we did. Yeah, I mentioned that he was in a band called... Left Insane with Stefan Edgerton was, uh, I think he played bass on one of the singles, and I think Stefan and Bill Stevenson produced their records, but we were of the view that this was not Tony Cicero from Saccharine Trust, but rather the Tony Cicero from Rhythm Collision. Yeah, I think it's the Saccharine Trust guy. No way! I think so. Anyways, that album that they put out, Toolbox, I think it's their sole full-length album. I checked it out. Yep. It's really good. I told you. You have it? Yeah, that's what I said. I said I got the single and I got the the full-length toolbox, and I said you should check it out, man. Yeah, it's really good. What did Warren have to say about it? Just that it's the same Tony Cicero, which, I mean, it would make sense that it is, considering, you know, the Bill Stevenson connection. Yeah, well, there's definitely an SST SST connection for sure, but I don't know. Maybe Discogs lied to me. Maybe. That would be the first time ever. 
<laughs> if I go to left insane on Discogs, Tony Cicero, it brings up Rhythm Collision hmm. and uh, and Left Insane. It also says though, interesting, it ha- it says that this Tony Cicero is on that Vita record that Des is on. Oh, really? So I don't think anyone knows which Tony Cicero was which. For sure, on the Vita record, it's got to be the Saccharin Trust, Tony Cicero. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another thing then. Let's see what you have to say about this. One of our listeners, Joe Carducci, (laughs) (laughs) he messaged in to say that Jack Brewer and Cava record is legit. No way. Yeah, so, so dig this. Repulse Cava, who you have to check out, Ryan, you would love them. I have them all. You have Repulse Cava. Okay, well, that's that's who Cava, Cava is. What? That's the band. Yeah. So Cava with Jack Brewer is Repulse Cava with Jack Brewer. Yeah. Oh, I got to listen to that again now. Yeah, so dig this. This is from Joe. Got to put different ears on. Yeah. Repulse, this is what Joe says. Repulse Cava was a great Chicago band on the Ajax, yes. Ajax and Butt Rag labels. Yes, they were awesome. He also says the Mohawk dude on the back cover of that single is David Geffen, which it totally is if you look at it. (laughs) So I guess I'm telling you what you already know here, but... Not really. I mean, I didn't know that that was Repulse Cava. Well, no, I'm going to tell you some more stuff you already know. Okay. Uh, They released a few singles in a full length called Flow Gently, Sweet Alpha. Joe Biza had stayed with Joe Carducci when Universal Congress of played Chicago... And he told Jack Brewer to come out. And Jack met Kava. They had shortened their name by that point, And they made the single. And there was also an improvised set from a gig at Lounge Axe. They were maybe going to edit and release, but it didn't happen. Here's what Joe says. It's a good album, though the production wasn't what we thought we had. The studio was a short, short-lived friend of the band's place. And they were the first band through. They were often sort of broken up or semi-active. Bill Leonard had seen Saccharin Trust and Black Flag Tour as a kid, and I thought I could bring Jack to Chicago and have him do stuff with Cava, record and do a show at Lounge, Lounge Axe. Bill, this is Bill De, De Leonard, who was in Repulse Cava, yep. worked at Facets Multimedia and was involved in my provisional company. We released videotapes of the Pettibone movies. Like, uh, I think you have some of them. Weatherman 69. Got it. Serge Roan. Nope. Book of Manson. Nope. Citizen Tanya. Got it. You can see all of them on YouTube. Um, (laughs) I got a lot of this information from a really awesome uh, piece Joe had written on his blog, New Vulgate, in 2010, which we'll post on all our social media. Wow, I can't believe I was dissing Discogs a moment ago because I'm just looking up Repulse Kava, yep. and it has an as an alias Kava. You hit Kava, it goes right to Jack Brewer and Kava. There you go. Dang, thanks for that one, Joe. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention that I stumbled across. You're probably going to tell me you have it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I probably found this on Discogs actually when I was looking up Chuck Dukowski or something but his son Milo Gonzalez who also played in the Chuck Dukowski sextet has a band called Insects vs. Robots do you know who, uh, do you no. know them no so I googled them they have a full length called They'll Kill Ya and an EP it's kind of proggy folk rock 
They have like a electric violin player that kind of reminds me of Jerry Goodman from the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And uh, do you know that video series Jam in the Van? You may have seen the Melvins on there. That's how it, how I became aware of it. Oh, where they like it's a band that plays inside a van and they post it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. There's a really good video of Insects and Robots on there that we'll also post. But huh. it was it's pretty good. Yeah, I did not know about that one. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, Milo is a he's a shredder man. He's a guitarist. Yep. Aha. Uh-huh. That's my spiels. Those are good spiels. My mind got blown a few times there. Thank you very much. I only had, like I said, a micro spiel, but you know that video, 1991, The Year Punk Broke? Yes. I watched that this weekend for the first time probably in, oh, I want to say like 20 years. I basically just bought a cheap copy off of Amazon used or something. And because I I used to have it on VHS, I taped it from one of the late... Yeah, from one of the late night video channels, I taped it one night. That's all. And I had forgotten a co- two things. So that's a Dave Markey film. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I, th- I think there's probably a high probability that you like the film more than I do because you're a bigger Sonic Youth fan than I am. But I do like it. And it's a really good document of, you know, a period of time in kind of underground music just before stuff is, you know, truly breaking. But the thing that struck me about it that I never realized before is how little actual songs there are of Sonic Youth in live, like in the live footage. A lot of it is just noise. Yeah. Like just go, just thrash, thrashing their guitars. And that's a lot of the actual live footage of Sonic Youth. And then just Thurston Moore uh, hamming it up for the video camera. Yeah, there's but a there's lot of that. Yep. Totally. Some good Dinosaur Jr. footage as well. And so one thing that struck me was, you know, how little actual songs are played by Sonic Youth on it. And the other thing that struck me is at the out, outset of the film, there's quite a few minutes where they're just kind of saying, you know, giving credit to everyone that's in the film. And uh, one of the individuals that they give, you know, in this film, they list Bob Mould. Okay. The the uh, the screen time for Bob Mould in the entire movie amounts to basically about two and a half seconds of the back of his head, and I thought <laughs> that that was pre- I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, long- it it recently got released on DVD, like in the last maybe five years, and I bought it immediately. I haven't watched it in a, in a couple years, but I I watched it a zillion times. You know, when I first got it, it's pretty interesting, right? Like. Uh, Nirvana had yet to blow up, but they're all over it, you know? They were kind yes. of blowing up <laughs> as the video, as the movie was being shot almost, you know? Yeah, I know it's interesting, and the crowds are just going wild. Well, spoiler alert, I interviewed Dave Markey yesterday, and uh, we talked about it a little bit. We were talking about reality, I think how it came up is we were talking about Reality 86, and, you know, I think I was like asking whether he he's disappointed that that's never been properly released. And he kind of said, well, yeah, no, uh, no, in the sense that like Thurston Moore saw reality 86. And as soon as it was over said, I want you to make a tour documentary of Sonic youth. And, and so if it wouldn't have been for reality 86, he never would have made, uh, 1991, the year that punk broke. Huh? 
So there you go. There's a little teaser. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to, to having Dave on the show for sure. Do you want to get into some swa? I don't know. Do you think we're swa enough? I'm feeling a little swa right now. Okay. Let's well, let's do it. History lesson, part one. So, Ryan, I'm going to start by reading you some of the SWA manifesto. Do you know what that is? <laughs> I think I know a bit of what the SWA manifesto is. Okay, well, I'll tell you. I think, is, it, is, it, is it the back of the album cover? The, some of that's on there. Remember Freeway Records? Uh, English is a second, second language, neighbor, neighborhood rhythms? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. If anybody wants to learn more about that, I think we talk about it in episode 26, our Family Man episode, but they released a lot of spoken word stuff. Uh, I think it's one of the first ones they did on Freeway, Voices of the Angels. Chuck Dukowski's on that. A track on there is called The Swa Manifesto, A Work in Progress. <laughs> and this came out in 82, so several, several years before the band. He says, Swa is your future, if you have one. Swa is not political. Swa is not religious. Swa is the order implicit. In the chaos surrounding us, there is an order implied. That order, the order implicit, is Swa, your future, if you have one. There are those who will shun Swa. We will watch them destroy themselves. You're either Swa or non-Swa. There's no middle ground. It goes on from there, and you can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. The concept, I guess, of SWA was around as early as 1982, maybe earlier for all I know. So I, I think we've talked before a little bit about how the band got going, but uh, I found a really good interview with the drummer for the band, Greg Cameron. And I, I think we, we talked a little bit about him in uh, the October Faction episode which was episode 36, because he also played drums on that album. But basically, he was uh, best friends in high school with Ray Cooper, who uh, was kind of in and out of The Descendants, and I'm pretty sure maybe left the band to go into The Descendants permanently, but I'm not sure about that. Left SWA? Yeah. I believe he did leave SWA kind of permanently to get into the I Don't Want to Grow Up yeah. album. Greg... Cameron met Ginn and the SST crew through Bill Stevenson, who he met through Ray Cooper. And he's a big Bill Stevenson fan, and I, I would say you can hear that in his playing. Around the ch time Chuck gets asked to leave Flag, Chuck Dukowski went to Germany for a year to visit family, or sorry, for a month to visit family. And then when he came back to SST to start Global, his booking agency, and he was also still part owner of SST, Around this time was when he reformed Worm, and uh, Greg Cameron was uh, practicing his drums at SST. I think they were actually Bill Stevenson's drums, and Bill was on tour with Flag. This was like in 84, right? During the My War tour. Chuck was getting a little fed up with trying to get Worm off the ground, and those guys never wanted to jam, so he just started bringing his bass to work and taking breaks from uh, booking tours, and was jamming with Greg Cameron. And this is early 84, and this was around the time they jammed with Ted Falcone as well, from Flipper. And Chuck was jonesing to get out on the road for the 84 tour, so he put together October Faction. 
So then at some point, they brought in Rich Ford on guitar. Uh, according to uh, Joe Carducci, uh, Ted Falcone was fired by Greg Cameron. Joe says, I asked Chuck how Greg could fire Ted, and he just shrugged. <laughs> Rich Ford came into the band, and I think he stayed for a couple albums. Maybe just one. Maybe just this one. So Rich Ford went on to work for SST. He kind of, this is from Joe Carducci. He said, Rich became my understudy as production manager at the label. And uh, eventually, I think he made maybe two albums. Might have been three with Swa. I think they made five total for SST, but we'll get to all of this down the line. But I know at some point he quit Swa to to kind of, because he was too busy working at the label. And uh, they brought in Sylvia Juncosa, who um, had been playing organ in The Leaving Trains, had a band also called To Damascus, but we'll get to all of that later on. Joe Carducci thinks Rich stayed with SST until the label stopped putting out records regularly, probably mid or late 90s, so he was around for quite a while. Yeah, no kidding. Joe says, after I told those guys I'd be leaving, we agreed that I'd stay three three more months, and Rich, who was still in SWA, Joe says, I think must have decided he'd rather work at the label. So he started coming over to SST's Lawndale office, and I clued him in on what I did. And then in March 86, Joe Carducci leaves the label. I also talked to Greg Cameron quite a bit about SWA. I asked him about Mystic, because uh, Mystic Studios, Ryan... I think we talked a little bit about them in the Tom Tricoli's Dog episode, because that's where that album was recorded. Okay. Some other stuff was recorded there, too. I think the second October faction that we're going to be getting to in a couple weeks here, uh, that was recorded there. And speaking of DOA, some of that album, The Lost Tapes, was recorded there. Okay. Yeah, well, Mystic had like a weird setup, right, where you could go in and just record as quick and as cheap as possible, and they kept on putting out those compilations with just zillions of bands on them right yeah it was really run down if you remember for the tom tricoli's dog episode uh they had brought in rat sound had beefed up the system a little bit and i think i think they get a thank you on the back of this one for technical assistance or something like that a few of the other albums that i saw that were recorded there were angry samoans back from samoa youth brigade sound and fury was recorded there and also supposedly the Led Zeppelin track, Whole Lot of Love from Zeppelin 2, was al- allegedly recorded there. <laughs> so That's, they, ran- that's they, super w- random. Well, they recorded that whole album on tour, eh? So yep. it wouldn't surprise me because they were in L.A. a lot. So here's what Greg Cameron says about Mystic. Pretty run down with some cool history. It was his first time in, the st- in a studio ever, so it was pretty memorable for him. I asked him if there was any touring in support of the album because I know they toured with Black Flag in 85. I thought that was prior to this album coming out, and he says, actually, this album was out before the 85 tour, but not before we did SST's The Tour. The video. The video uh, that same year. I asked him if they were playing any of these songs on tour, and were the songs worked out in practice, or did Chuck bring music fully written for Meryl to add lyrics to? He says, we did quite a few of these songs on that on the tour, on the 85 tour, and a bunch of new ones. Chuck is a songwriting machine. Songs were worked out and created jamming at practice. Chuck would come up with riffs, and we'd just jam them until the songs would be pieced together. In Flag, Chuck would present more finished product, 
whereas with Swa, it was jams that would turn into songs. Merrill would usually write lyrics in the studio on the fly, unless they were his songs, which were relatively turnkey. Yeah, well, you're, you're either Swa or you're non-Swa. That's true. I asked if they, if they had a practice schedule like Black Flag. He says they didn't do that kind of intensity, but it was three to four times a week for a long time. He That's also, pretty... Yeah, it's intense still. He added, I'm glad we didn't uh, practice like that, as I know that schedule caused permanent damage to both Bill and Kira when they were in Flag. And he used to go to a lot of their practices. So he knows. And I, I asked about... Merrill's stage performance and his reputation for wild antics and theatrics and maybe like makeup and stuff like that. You know, I was curious if they were trying to be theatrical. He made a good point. Merrill was one of the original LA punks. He was into it long before I knew it existed. He was into the glam scene and brought that into the LA punk scene as it evolved. The very original LA punk rock scene came directly from glam, which is not something that well known by many and that's true you hear about people like darby crash for example was really into the the glam scene in england like bowie and stuff like that yeah t-rex pat smear, yeah pat smear joan jett a lot of the la punks were definitely coming out of glam with rodney on the rock and stuff like that yeah there's actually um an episode of that foo fighters documentary sonic highways that goes pretty deep into that actually is that right yeah so this is Greg Cameron again. So Merrill was pretty theatrical and flamboyant, which didn't play well for a lot of fans. Chuck would do a handprint on his face, but that was the extent of his makeup. Merrill was the true showman of the band. Have you ever seen that? Chuck Dukowski with the handprint over his eye? Yeah, there's a YouTube video of them, and it's the Sil Sylvia Junkosa era right. of Spa, and you can see Merrill playing live and you can tell i mean he was pretty restrained for a, a tv taping i bet you if it was like live and stage before an audience you could tell that he probably would be uh, busting a move and getting pretty out there is that the one where he's got a he's shirtless but he's got a vest on and his hair is really long yeah, yeah. And he's got like a just a big buckle big belt buckle i can't remember what it is yeah that one's pretty awesome there's two guitars on this album so I was doing a little digging. You can see the two guitar lineup on the, the tour video, like the SST's The Tour. Yeah. They play five songs on that, by the way. Or sorry, four songs off of this one, Caravans, Islands in the Freeway, The Myth. And then they play one called Spider Rabbit that I don't think is on any of their albums, but it's a pretty cool track. Greg Cameron actually sent me a few links, uh, some good stuff from the 85 tour. Uh, one with Flag in Walla Walla. Washington from August 22nd, 85, and there's no second guitar there. So the tour was shot on March 1st, 85. So I, I think Ray Cooper was out sometime between March 85 and August 85. As far as the name goes, according to Wikipedia, it was created by assigning an alphabetical value to numbers on a gaming die and then rolling the dice three times. It, but it also says in the, on Wikipedia that Chuck Dukowski claimed Joe Carducci came up with the name, and Joe Carducci told me that's not true. Uh, in that same video that uh, I was mentioning a moment ago, like the TV performance, there's quite a lengthy interview, and they talk about how the SWA name came about, and I believe that they talk about that, you know, it was about rolling a die. Oh, really? Yeah, and they all, all of them, 
all the band members at the time are talking, I don't know, I guess like in SWA speak. The interviewer is kind of going, you know, what is what does SWA mean? How did you get the name? All that kind of stuff, you know, and they're going, well, you're either SWA or you're not. And, you know, like that type of uh, <laughs> they're they're, t- they're definitely screwing with the interviewer, yeah. all of them, even Sylvia Jankosa. Awesome. I got to check that out. I asked uh, Joe Carducci a little bit about the recording. The global generated albums began to be recorded at Mystic, which meant we barely knew how things sounded until I went to master it at K-Disc. So the impression I get is that they're kind of divided into two camps by this point. There's Mugger and Joe Carducci and that crew at SST Lawndale, and then Global Booking is in a, in a separate building, and that's where Greg Ginn, Chuck Dukowski, and all of their kind of, you know, the gone people... Tom Tricoli, they're kind of divided into into two separate camps. So that that's what he means by the global generated albums. Uh, we'd run a good cassette of that final K-Disc EQ and then have something to listen to on those records. I thought the first SWA album was undercut by the production at Mystic, and that was their best set of tunes, so it hurt them. It was with their second guitarist, Sylvia Jankosa, that the band was best live. We're going to hear that on SST 93 which came out in 1987 and she also has a solo album called Nature on SST which was SST 146 came out in 1988 so yeah she can shred for sure that's about all I have for history lesson part one Ryan do you want to talk about like the music and the artwork yeah let's do it history lesson part two okay before we talk about the music and our like our opinions Ryan I guess we should address the elephant in the room here, and that's that SWA is generally considered one of the worst bands on SST. Yeah, for sure. So I have some reviews here. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them are pretty bad. Yeah. This is a dude named Jay Hinman. He has a blog called Agony Shorthand. Here's what he said. Tuneless, hookless, arduous, and hideously overdone pseudo-metal with rotten vocals and a generally meat-headed persona was not a recipe for success in 1985, even with the flag pedigree and the SST banner unfurled behind them. Countless fanzines mocked them. Steve Albini uh, had an article, I'm assuming this was in like Forced Exposure or something like that. Uh, I believe it is, yeah. Yeah, called The 50 Worst Things a Person Could Do or something like that. This is, it gets mentioned a lot when you hear about SWA, is this Steve yep. Albini article. And yep. and a couple of the things in this article, 50 Worst Things a Person Could Do, uh, included our Listen to SWA and Be SWA. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the Albini. Yep. Uh, here's another one from this guy, Dave Lang. Without doubt, one of the worst independent rock bands of all time, you could write... <laughs> You could write a thesis on just how wrong this band is. They stink like a dead mule and are roughly half as exciting. That guy, Dave Lang, actually has a blog and he has like about, I think it's a maybe a two-parter, maybe even a three-parter article on the best and worst of SST. I would recommend people check it out. It's a pretty good blog. Yeah, I'm going to get to that here too. Okay. Uh, he goes on, they set all new standards for excruciatingly dull, tuneless, and insanely unappealing rock music. 
the, this is a, a blurb from, I think, that thing you're referencing, which is Perfect Sound Forever. Yes, that's the one. Yep. Probably the worst SST band of them all. They specialized in utterly tuneless, dull, and just plain insanely... <laughs> you get the idea. He says you really have to hear it to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we could go on and on and on. But I, I found one... Uh, on, on another blog that I really like called Pig State Recon. They've got some good stuff. And uh, this is from a guy named Darren Cifarelli. He wrote an article called In Defense of SWA. And we're going yes. to post it because SWA, yep. SWA needs defending. It, it's long and detailed and a little philosophical, but he praises Chuck and his playing, which he should do. We all should. And he suggests later albums are better than this one. So we'll see. I'm a little concerned because Joe Carducci says that this is their best set of songs, but we'll see. I, I do like, I have Sylvia Jankosa's album and I like it. So I'm hoping that, that those albums are better, but we'll, we'll find out soon enough here. Uh, this is what Darren says though. Chuck Dukowski deserves recognition as a revolutionary bass player for the style he developed and perfected after leaving flag and playing in count in other configurations primarily swa his solos and song structures still blow me away today no one played like him hmm. uh here's what he says about merrill ward the singer in a rock band is a joke so why pretend it is anything else <laughs> <laughs> sometimes striking poses that would appall freddie mercury merrill played the role of heavy metal singer in an exaggerated ridiculous over-the-top way but did so deliberately, confusing the joke with the Joker. Also, a lot of praise for uh, Sylvia Jankosa's playing on the the '93 album. It's it's no Roman numerals, but it's the Roman numerals for the number '93. It was SST '93, so I'm assuming why they called it that. I'll put in one plug for Swa, but before I do that, though, I will say it'll come as no surprise to you that you know Swa is not in my top ten. Yeah, maybe even not my top 20 of SST bands, but I do have some time for them. And the other plug I'll put in for SWA is they are cited in uh, a few places on the vast expanse of the interweb as kind of a bridge between SST hardcore and the grunge scene that would come in the, the late 80s and into the early 90s and when you listen to swa with that with those types of ears on i can see someone who kind of started playing in grunge late 80s early 90s having swa a few years earlier these records and inf influencing their playing as a grunge band i can definitely see it yeah for sure yep i mean i'll be honest with you like i really wanted to like this album me too just because everyone shits on it and made me want to like it more but do you want to go through the tra my my track by track? Sure. Okay. I'll, I'll just I'll just say before we get into it, like where my head is at with Swa, I really wanted to like it too, in the same way that I really wanted to like DC three more than I do. Yeah. And I am I like you am hopeful, and I listened to this record a ton this week. Me too. I'm hopeful, and it's part of it started to grow on me. I mean, there is merit. There's something there. I am hopeful, though, just like you, like the next albums, uh, as we follow Swa, I don't know, they're able to to sink their hooks more deeply into me, I guess. Yeah. I'm I, hopeful. I listened to this about 20 times this week, so here's what I came up with. 
Uh, I should say all songs are credited credited to Merrill Ward and Chuck Dukowski. Side A starts with a track called "Rip It Up." It's a good rock and opener, and this one has uh, the 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 Swa Manifesto basically are, are the lyrics for this one. Yeah. Second track, "Until You Bleed," also really good. It, it's almost gothy sounding. It's like a mid tempo rocker. I almost I wrote it almost has like a personality crisis vibe to me. And uh, unfortunately, it, the album starts going downhill from here for me. <laughs> uh, Ten Miles of Hate, it's, I wrote it's plodding, not very memorable. Track four, Creeps. Uh, it's interesting to note that Paul Rosler uh, plays keys on that one. Yep. I wrote it sounds like a later Black Flag instro with lyrics added as an afterthought. That's the one where the main riff uh, sounds like the strings being plucked in standard tuning. To me, yeah. to my ears, it sounds like E A D G. You know what I mean? Yeah, it has kind of like a circus type of sound to it, almost. Yeah, Simon's thing. The vocals stand out. I've said this before, I think, but uh, like I love Meryl Ward as a vocalist. Not as much on this as on the Overkill album, but he does at times r- remind me of Randy Biscuit Turner from the Big Boys. This one has a lot of people on backing vocals. Cliff Samuels, who we've talked about before, Greg Cameron, the drummer, Kira, uh, Michael Boshears, who I believe engineered this, Richard Ford, and Suzanne Gardner, who is on the cover of the Worm album, sang on Slip It In, the track Slip It In, and went on to play in L7. Yeah. And then we flip it over. We start with Caravan. That's like an October Faction style studio jam with Merrill ad-libbing. Sounds like he's ad-libbing. It's filler for me. Islands in the Freeway, I wrote another meandering jam. Myth uh, has a guy named Alan. It just says Alan on violin and Latin choir. I wrote it's pretty unmemorable. I thought it was an accordion tacked on to the end of the track, but it it must be a violin. The ninth track, sine, cosine, x. I had to look that up. That's trigonometry. Yep. It's for, it's for <laughs> a ra- that up. Oh, I don't know shit about trig, man. Well, do you think I know anything about <laughs> it? I, the, the reason I knew what it was is because I know nothing about it. I, <laughs> I still I still am traumatized from high school. Yeah. Uh, well, the, apparently it has something to do with a right triangle. <laughs> the, this one's a good track. It's a bit shorter. It's got a good riff. And the whole album ends with In My Heart, which is... I just wrote nothing special. I, sorry, I don't have more than that. I guess overall, it's a pretty unmemorable album for me, to be honest. Yeah, they didn't. Re- the songs don't stick out. Yeah. We should talk about the artwork, though. Yeah. The cover art is speaking of school. It's uh, it looks like a young kid writing at kind of a school desk, I think. Yep. And uh, writing on a piece of uh, loose leaf or fool scap you know you remember what fool scap is yep writing on some of that and it says uh, swa your future if you have one over and over like they're in detention and swa is kind of etched into the top of the desk and it is credited to uh, richard ford yeah. for a cover artwork nobody ever scratched swa into a desk though hey not once ever no, no. black flag a few million times Aussie probably a lot. I probably carved <laughs> Aussie into a desk. Actually, no. You usually wrote Aussie on your knuckles with a black marker. <laughs> oh God. 
That's ridiculous. One thing uh, you should note about the cover artwork, uh, well, I guess the jacket, I've got the LP, and on the spine, the I think it's a typo. It says, Swa, your future if you won. Oh, I didn't notice Miss, that. Missing the word, if you have won. So I think that's a typo there. On the back, it's got a bit of the Swa manifesto over top of the dudes looking pretty dapper in uh, suits and ties with briefcases. They must have been doing conducting some SWA business. There is a, you know, like a p- promo photo that labels and whatnot used to send out back then. Like an 8x10? Yeah. There's a cool one, we'll post it, of them from this photo session, and they're all looking at watches, like they're late for an important meeting or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, this, I think that's maybe Greg Cameron holding the briefcase, but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, the the photo is by Naomi Peterson. And some stuff from the SWA manifesto is kind of typed over top of the photo. Yeah, exactly. My favorite of which is, there are those who will shun SWA. We will watch them. <laughs> oh, man. And Chuck has got, like, freshly shaved head yeah, in his suit. Yeah, he's all bicked up. Yeah, he looks uh, like ready for business in a whole, in a whole different way. So, technical assistance by Rat Sound. The insanity director is Jordan Schwartz. Yep. Management is SST Management. The mistress. Whoa, whoa, of whoa, 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 whoa. Who? Whoa. Not Nixon management. No SST management on the back. Wow. What okay. do you have? Uh, SST management, but what happened to Nixon management, man? Well, this is Chuck's band. Okay. Carrying on with the credits, the mistress of practicality is credited to Modi Frank. Don't know what that means. Yeah, neither do I. Cover artwork, back cover, we already did that. Concept, Chuck Dukowski, produced by Greg Ginn, engineered by Michael Boshears, recorded at Mystic, mixed at Hit City West. Do you know if, uh, if Joe Carducci mixed this? I don't think so, no. No? Okay. He was just in charge of the mastering. My jacket has uh, copyright SST records and Sestone music. Okay. As two separates. And the typeset is, like, not straight. It almost looks like a, like they copied and pasted it. One of them on as, like, an add-on when they brought it to the printers, almost. What about a lyric sheet? I've got one. has all the lyrics... It also has a like a SWA ID card. It looks like you could cut it out. Oh. And it says, uh, be SWA, your name, your picture, identify yourself, SWA photo ID. And maybe maybe you're not intended to cut this out because then underneath it, it says, send $2 and a passport size photo to PO Box 1 Lawndale, California. So I think you could send away with your photo and two bucks to get a SWA ID card, oh, which is pretty awesome. Cool. That's pretty cool. You should put that in your wallet next to your your uh, my no wrong mean, ID. You're wrong. No means no ID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wrong ID. I wonder if anyone who listened to this would actually know what that is. We'll find out. Yeah. How about some dead wax? How about it? Okay, let's see here. I didn't practice this. Okay, here we go. Side one says, fire them up. Side two says, for Wartuski. For what? Yeah, W-A-R-T-U-S-K-I. 
Hmm. Maybe it's Wartuski. Okay. I don't know. Ballot result? Yeah, I think so. Ballot result. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. Did you ever have a wrong ID? No. What did that come in? The cassette? Cassette only. Yeah, no, I never had it. Yeah, it expires on death, hey? Oh, really? Yeah, so you're, mine's still good. You're set for life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you better pick this one. Well, you know, I don't know. It's one of the, it's either rip it up until you bleed or uh, sign cosine X, but I think I, I actually really like the song Until You Bleed, but I think we better go with Rip It Up just because it's got the Swan Manifesto in it, and that's important. Yeah, I think so too. I think Rip It Up is a terrible song name, but it has the manifesto, so we got to go with it. Okay. What's next week, Ryan? Woo-hoo-hoo! Next week, Brant. Yeah. Is SST54 Angst, Light oh. Life. Oh boy. Which is, a, which is a killer record, and we've got a special guest. Yeah. Joseph Pope, the man himself. Yeah, really looking forward to getting into this one. Um, this is a pretty, I think this is a pretty well-known record, actually, and uh, for good reasons, so looking forward to it. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.